0: God, may that glorify your name. May all that we say and all that we think, how we act, how we live, may all of this be glorifying to your name. God, we lift you high this morning through song. We pray that in the teaching of the word, God, you might be lifted up. God, that you might draw us closer to yourself more and more every day, that we might be conformed more to the image of your son. God, we love you today and we praise you. For you are holy. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is good to worship our king this morning. He is good. We are blessed to be able to offer our praises to him. Open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Historically, when a new ruler comes to power, he takes his rightful place. A battle typically precedes his reign. Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, publicly announcing his kingship. Legally, genealogically, prophetically, and morally, he qualified to be the king. The battle was that he paid the debt that we couldn't pay He lived the life that we couldn't live, and he died the death that we deserved. He died a sacrificial death, paying that debt. He was raised three days later with a supernatural resurrection, conquering death, the grave, sin, and hell. And then over a 40-day period, he appeared to those around him, proving his resurrection, and then took his rightful place at the right hand of the Father in heaven. The ascension of the King. John chapter 16. Stand with me if you're able and let's begin reading in verse five and following. But now I am going to him who sent me and none of you ask me where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. You may be seated. There are three times that the Bible records Jesus' ascension. Mark's gospel records it. Luke's gospel records it. And then again at the beginning of uh, the book of Acts, we see where God just explicitly gives us An historical account of when Jesus ascended back into heaven. Now, the references go back to the Old Testament and then, of course, are are scattered all through the letters in the New Testament as well. So it's referenced many times. I, I say this and mention all these references to emphasize we cannot take the ascension of Christ lightly. Oftentimes, it's easy for us to talk about the cross, and it's easy for us to talk about the resurrection. But oftentimes, we don't emphasize or talk very much about the ascension. We we know his humiliation; he left the glory of heaven and he came to earth, and that's a part of the incarnation: his suffering, his death, and his burial. But we also need to make sure we're talking about his exaltation, his resurrection, ascension, his session. And his return. And even before the crucifixion and resurrection, John records Jesus' explanation about the ascension. And that's what we have in John 16. He begins this discussion way back in John chapter 14 and just continues it on. But this morning we're going to emphasize what Jesus explained about his ascension even before he ascended back to his Father. So let me give you the first thing that's important as we think about Jesus' ascension. Jesus ascended so that we could experience the power of God. The disciples had seen so much already, they had experienced so much. They had been given opportunity to not only see what Jesus was doing, but to actually experience what he was doing and to do some of the same kinds of things that he was doing on earth. It had been a glorious time for them, but they had seen nothing yet. They had only seen just the beginning of what God was going to do through the glory of the gospel and through the spread of the gospel all over the globe. They were getting ready to participate in all of this, and Jesus is preparing them for that time. How would they walk faithfully with God once Jesus was ascended back into heaven. How would they really get this message out without Jesus being physically present with them and giving them details day to day and how would they be able to experience this expansion of the gospel to the ends of the world once Jesus had ascended back into heaven? We, we get all of that very clearly here in John 16. Look back again with me in verse five. But now I am going to him who sent me. After his crucifixion, after his resurrection, and his appearances over that 40-day period, Jesus ascended back into heaven. The disciples actually saw him ascend back into heaven. And of course, he says to them, none of you ask me where are you going. Pointing out, they were being pretty self-centered in these moments. What's in this for me? What's going to happen to us? They were only thinking of themselves instead of really the glory of God and the plan of God and even the Son of God in these moments. But because, verse 6, I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, if Jesus was standing right beside of you and he said it's to your advantage that I go away, you'd think, wait a minute. I think I would rather have you with me all the time it's, it's amazing, this statement, and I'm sure for them, they were thinking, how in the world could that be? For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus said, Had to finish his work. On the cross, he finished the work of atonement. There was no other price that could be paid for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus paid it. But he also did the work of the resurrection, conquering death and hell uh, and the grave. But he also showed his rightful kingship when he ascended back into heaven. All the work was done when he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And until that was completed, the Spirit could not come and continue the work now that his people, his church, would do. And so we need the help of the Spirit. Uh, they, as followers of Christ, could not do, them, do it themselves. And Jesus, because not only was he, did he take on a human body, but when he was resurrected, he was resurrected in a new body. And even though he could pass through doors and he could uh, appear, he still was in a human body. It was a resurrected glorified body and so he would not be with all of them wherever they went spreading out it would be his spirit who would be with them the holy spirit and so the holy spirit now would take residence in all the followers of christ he would be the helper so how would you be able to live the kind of life that god intended When someone becomes a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live within them and he empowers them. He enables them. He helps them. He is the helper to live the kind of life that God originally intended When you're saved, you're restored back into right relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven. You're adopted into the family of God. You've been justified. And God's doing His work of sanctification in your life. God is doing much in the moment that you're saved. Your identity has changed. Your eternity has changed when you become a follower of Christ. And now the Holy Spirit lives in you as a follower of Christ, this helper, to help you live out the kind of life that will bring honor and glory to God and will be a light to the world. And so the power of God is for living, living the kind of life that he meant, all of us as followers of Christ, but also for witnessing. I know some of you, when you think about how could I share the gospel with my neighbor how could I share the gospel with the schoolmate? How could I share the gospel with the coworker? How could I share the gospel with the family member? It can be a little overwhelming and quite gripping and fearful. And if you were doing it in your own strength and power, you couldn't do it. Even if you had the courage and the boldness to share this message, you couldn't save that person. But the Holy Spirit who lives in us, Helps us to share the message, and he's gone before us, working in the lives of the people that we share this good news with. When Jesus in Acts 1 was getting ready to ascend, he said, But when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power, and you'll receive, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit empowers us for witnessing, to share this gospel. Even as you look a little further into John 16 in verse 8, and when he comes, this helper, the Spirit of God, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And he explains those three uh, areas But the idea is the Holy Spirit's the one who does the convicting. He's the one who does the saving. We're just witnesses. We're working alongside the Holy Spirit. We're being vessels that the Holy Spirit lives in. And God does his work through us. We yield more and more to the Holy Spirit for God to do his work through us. And so when Jesus ascended and he sent his spirit in the day of Pentecost took place, he was giving us the power to live the kind of life that he designed. He was was empowering us to be witnesses like he'd been telling his disciples to be already. And I think it's interesting, back in chapter 14 and verse 12, what Jesus said to his disciples, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me would also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. That's Again, it's connected to the ascension, and it's connected to the sending of the Spirit. How are we going to do what Jesus has called us to do and what he modeled for us to do? It's not that this text is saying qualitatively you're going to do greater things than Jesus did. That would uh, not make much sense as the Son of God. I mean, he, he is God. He, he would obviously do things that we were unable to do, but quantitatively. As all of us are filled with the Spirit, we've been saved and brought in the family of God because you are doing God's work in your neighborhood, you're doing God's work in your school, and in uh, your workplace, and, and wherever God puts you, all together we're seeing greater works because the gospel is spreading throughout the world. See, collectively, collectively, the Spirit inside all of us produces greater fruit because we're in so many different places doing the work of God together as the people of God. So there's power for living, for witnessing and multiplying. We cannot do it ourselves. We have responsibility to be obedient to God, but it's the help of this spirit, the helper, who comes and enables us to do the work that God has called us to do. Well, there's a second thing that Jesus' ascension means for us. Jesus ascended so that we could receive the perspective of God. Notice in verse 12 of John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus had already mentioned this quite extensively in chapter 14 as well. But the Holy Spirit caused the very words of God to be written down in Holy Scripture. That's what this is meaning. When Jesus would be gone, how would they remember what he said? Well, the Holy Spirit would remind them, and the Holy Spirit would inspire them to write down God's very words, his very thoughts. And not only what Jesus had taught them, but the things that were to come as well. There would be explanation in that. And so we have the gospels, the the event of Christ's coming, and then we have the letters that explain Christ's coming. And the Spirit of God inspired these apostles to pin down the very words of God that we could have the perspective of of God. You see these men didn't write from their own perspective. Sometimes people read the Bible and they say, "Well, this is what a bunch of men thought." But it's what the Holy Spirit inspired these men to write down about himself. God who created the world and said, "Let there be light." He he gave these men light to write down his very words as they were led by the Spirit of God. They were carried along as Peter Later said in 2 Peter chapter 1, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Just as the wind blows the sailboat, God inspired these men to write down his very words. Once Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came, then we began to see how these men wrote down the very words of God in a very brief time period and was collected into what we now have as the canon of Scripture. Jesus ascended, that we could receive the perspective of God. And then thirdly, Jesus ascended so that we could understand the plan of God. Many of you have gone through some real difficult times in these last days. We, We continue to hear news accounts of awful things that happen in our own community as well as across the world. And sometimes we have to wonder if we were just thinking from a world's perspective, is Jesus really on the throne with all this stuff happening? With all the stuff that s- seemingly is hard and painful and difficult. And to be honest, on earth there will be days that may feel like he's not on the throne. Days that will be difficult and confusing, but one day it will all be worth it. Notice uh, again in, in verse 16 of John 16, what he says, a little while and you will see me no longer. Again, a little while and you will see me. Your, your time on earth will be brief. Verse 17, of course, they began this whole conversation about what does he mean by a little while. But verse 20 goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. For a time period, life on earth will be difficult. It may be more difficult because you are following Christ than it would be if you were not following Christ. Sometimes we get that backwards and we say, you know, if you're following Christ, your life is going to be great and wonderful and somehow everything's going to just flow right along. But we know that the opposite is true because you follow Christ, you're in a battle. You're in a battle with your own flesh, you're in a battle with the world, you're in the battle with the enemy, Satan himself. And sometimes life is more difficult because you follow Christ. And Jesus is preparing his disciples so that they're ready to, to, to fight the good fight and to be faithful no matter what. And he said, You're going to have days when when it's sorrowful. You're going to weep and you're going to lament. But he said, your sorrow will turn into joy. And in that one statement, there's so much hope that God's going to make all things right. And one day when it's all said and done, following Christ is all going to be worth it. There are a lot of joys in these days in following him, seeing his hand, watching him work, growing in your relationship with him. There's joy in this life, even though it can be difficult at times, but one day, it's going to be pure joy, and it's all going to be worth it. And he's trying to help them to see the plan of God. Right now, it's difficult. We still live in a fallen world, and the work of God is still being done, and all things are, are moving to an end. The king is on his throne in an invisible kind of way, but one day, it'll be fully visible, and all things will be made right. Let me give you the fourth Thing about Jesus' ascension that's important for us. Jesus ascended so that we could enjoy prayer to God. It's interesting because on our toughest days, where, what do we do? <laughs> do we sit around and worry and complain and gripe and all of that stuff? Or do we turn to the one who has all the answers, to the one who can comfort us and help us? And obviously that would be through Prayer. When you look in verse 23 of John 16, in that day you will ask nothing of me. You you can just imagine every day all the disciples coming to Jesus. Well, Jesus, what about this? Should we do this? Should we do that? Well, when he's ascended, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Have you noticed that when we normally pray that we end our prayers in Jesus' name. I, I don't think necessarily that every time you pray, you have to have that as a magical formula. It's not a magical formula. It is a reminder, though, for us that we deserve nothing, that when we come before God and we ask him anything, God doesn't owe us anything. And the only reason that we can come to him it's through what Jesus has done for us. We, we come in his authority, not our own. It's not, God, you owe me this, and God, I deserve that, and God, I demand this. God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I don't deserve anything, but because of what Jesus has done for me, the price that he paid and the power that he's demonstrated over death, he, is, he has brought me into his family, and God, I come to you in Jesus' name. There are places that you may go and be turned away pretty quickly, because that person doesn't know you. But maybe you know the, the owner of a business. And you say, I'm, I'm coming on his behalf. Or he's my good friend. In that sense, we, we come in Jesus' name to the throne of God. Based on what he's done for us. And these are his followers. These are his brothers that he's brought into the family of God. And he said, ask in my name and the Father will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask And you'll receive and your joy may be full. Because Jesus has ascended, we can pray now. He's taken his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. And so because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, we we can come to the Father and ask in his name. We have free access. I think about so many of the Old Testament saints like Esther, and, and what a picture when she was afraid to come before the king because the king might not extend his scepter and whoever came to him would be killed in the moment because they weren't welcomed and received. But of course in her day when the crisis happened, she came and the king held out his scepter and she was able to come into his presence. Well, what a day we live in when the king 24-7 holds out his scepter to all of us. Day by day, moment by moment, it's available. He's available to come into his very throne room all the time. We're seated with him in the heavenly places. We have access. We come in his authority, in his name. And he also sympathizes with us in our earthly problems because he took on human flesh. He experienced temptation. He experienced suffering. He experienced all the things that we would experience on earth. And we can come to him knowing that we have a high priest who fully understands. Again, I think about an Old Testament saint like Job who was going through some of the most horrendous difficulties life could offer. And he would say, oh, that I had an arbiter between me and God. Well, Jesus is that arbiter. He's at the right hand of the Father. He sympathizes with us as we go through our earthly problems and difficulties, and we could go to Him for help. I'm looking forward to starting a new Bible study on Wednesday night, starting this Wednesday night, uh, a church-wide Bible study in the Christian Life Center on prayer. We're just going to do a biblical theology, study the model prayer, and see what God would have us to do as His people in praying God speaks to us through his word. Now how do we respond back to him in prayer? Jesus ascended so that we could enjoy prayer to God. Fifth thing about his ascension. Jesus ascended so that we could count on a place with God. I'm dipping back into chapter 14, but it's a real familiar passage with many of you this morning. But you'll remember when Jesus was telling them that he had to go away in verse 1. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be, uh, take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Because Jesus is in heaven, because he's at the right hand of the Father, He's preparing a place for us that one day we can be with him forever. It it speaks of his ascension. These are great words of comfort. I remember when I was in high school, one of the leading musicians and singers of my generation early on was Keith Green. Some of you may remember some of those Keith Green songs. Uh, He was killed as a young man in an airplane crash. But I remember he was singing one of his songs, and he stopped, and he was singing. And it really made it—I still remember it today— He said, if it took God six days to create this world that we live in, and Jesus has been in heaven for 2,000 years preparing a place for us, we're living in pretty much a trash can (laughs) in comparison. This is the the creation of God, so I don't want to diminish that. But I am saying, man, just think about what heaven is going to be like. Because Jesus has ascended and he's promised, I'm going to come back and get you to bring you to where I am. You can count on a place with God. Sixthly, Jesus ascended so that we could see his position with God. Notice down in verse 28 of John 16. I came from the Father and I have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. In his incarnation, when he left the Father, he left his rightful place where he belonged, in the glory that he deserved. And he took on human flesh and became obedient even to the death on the cross. He obeyed his Father. In his incarnation, he left his rightful place. In the ascension, he returned to his rightful place. He was exalted by his Father. He who had humbled himself now was exalted by his Father. There is no question that Jesus is the King. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and to be seated doesn't mean that He's sitting 24 7. And for thousands of years, He's just been sitting there. We see that He does stand up, we see that He does move around among the, the lampstands. And so, but what it is, is speaking to us to say, He has been given His rightful position. He came and He paid the price that we could all be brought into the family of God. He showed he had power where we could we could be with him and we could experience life for eternity with him. But he also shows he has the position of kingship. Where my burden is this morning is that are we really living like Jesus is the king? I, I love our, our bulletin cover. Kelsey did a wonderful job. King of Kings, it looks nice, it's pretty, I've enjoyed looking at it. It's, it's nice to have a series of sermons on the king of kings. But if it doesn't make any difference in your life, I'm not sure that it's accomplishing very much. Jesus is the king. He is on the throne. He is in his rightful place. The ascension is a a great affirmation, a great confirmation for us that he is the king. He's in his rightful place. But is he in his rightful place in your life? Are you living like Jesus is the king? When I think about all these things that, that occur because he ascended, are you living in the power of God living like He intended here on earth and doing His work, being His witnesses and multiplying that work out of going and baptizing and teaching, making disciples. Are you living in the right perspective? Not only only doing the work of God, but being in the Word of God. Because He's ascended, the Spirit has come and revealed the very thoughts of God to us. Are you not only doing the work of God, but are you being in the Word of God? Is He king of your life. Are you living in such a way as that you understand that whatever you're going through, it's a part of the plan of God? You're not living in a a state of of depression. Now, I know that there are a lot of depressing things that happen, and we all go through times of discouragement, but are you so overwhelmed and worried and and living such a, a precarious life, or are you understanding that you're in the very hands of God and he's working out his plan. He is in his rightful place. He is bringing to pass the things that must come to pass and he's working despite the difficulties and the problems that you experience. Are you praying? Jesus has ascended, he's the king and he's invited us into his presence and he knows exactly what we're going through and he wants us to come and to find help In our time of need, are we praying? Are we really living like he's the king? Are we living not just so focused on what we have in this life, but with the eternal in mind, that one day we're going to stand before this king, and are we going to be confident, or are we going to be ashamed at the king's coming? How could we ever think of sitting back, being complacent, procrastinating, when we have the king of kings sitting on his throne and he's commanded his subjects to be about his business. Live like he's the king. This morning, maybe you've come to a place where you have realized he's not really the king of my life. We'd love to talk with you more about that. Romans 10 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's He is the King. He is in charge. He is the Lord. He's my master. He's my boss. He's my King. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We'd love to help you to become a part of the family of God today. We're going to have pastors who are available at the altar and after the service and we would love to talk with you. But maybe there's also a point in the family of God where you've been living under the oppression of worry and doubt and confusion. Maybe you've been neglecting the privileges that have been given to the subjects of the king of being in the word and doing the work of God and and praying to God. And maybe today's the day that God's calling you to a time of recommitment. Maybe God wants to bring revival in your life. We can look at the world and point the finger all day long at how bad the world is, but until we as the church get right with God, the world will never change. Let's pray together. Father, we look at your son and we see the king. We see the king taking on human flesh, coming to earth. We see the king living a perfect life, qualified because he's not only your son, but he's the son of David. Not only because he's the son of David, but he's proven perfect in all his ways. We see the king because he died, paid a king's ransom, not for himself, but for us. We see the king because he rose from the dead. Demonstrating his power over death, hell, and the grave. And we see the king because of where he is right now. On his throne, in his rightful place. The tomb is empty, but the throne is occupied. Would you help us as your people live like the throne is occupied? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.